Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, you are listening to Just Films and That. This is the podcast where we talk about films we think might be underrated, underseen, or sometimes we just want to talk about them. I'm the host for this week, Josh Hallam, and I'm joined as ever by my friend and co-host, Alice Oliver. Alice, you all right? Try to get a bit mushy there, Josh. Yeah, sorry, friend. My, my, my professional work friend. colleague, <laughs> my professional work colleague, Alice Oliver. How are you doing, Much Alice? better, much better. I'm very well, thank <laughs> you, Josh Hallam. Yes, Arms indeed. Blanked. That's how yeah. we do it. That's we how get we too do friendly. It. <laughs> um, doing all right, yeah? I'm good. I'm grand. How are you? It's hot, isn't it? It's a bit warm. Yeah, bit it's warm, warm for me. Isn't it? Yeah. Bit um, warm for gingers, I've got to say. It is, and both of us are. So, yeah, we're, we're all about diversity, aren't we? So, anyway, anyway, <laughs> I'm excited, Alice. You know, why I'm excited, don't you? Oh, yeah. We are joined by another fantastic guest. He's a comedian, he's a podcaster, amongst other things. Pierre Novelli, how are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm incredibly warm uh, <laughs> in the physical sense and in the sense of being warmed by being allowed on oh well that's good it's Lovely. always good always good Lovely to be to exactly <laughs> one. um so well if in case you already know pierre we always start every episode with a random question so we put this one out to the listeners we got quite a few good ones back this time but the one i've chosen is from sarah b on twitter it's at sarah b milner on twitter and she said alice what's your go-to cheese Open to interpretation, that, because, like, go to for what? This is the thing with a question like that. What's the job at what's, hand? What's the, what's, yeah, the, what's the occasion? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. 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 I well, mean, I'm going to be really annoying and say that I've just discovered a new vegan cheese uh, from Philadelphia <laughs> that's made of almonds, oh. and it's actually, guys, it's actually okay. I've eaten a lot of vegan cheese. Most of it tastes like shit. But this one actually tastes okay. So I've got to give that one a shout Philadelphia, out. Philadelphia, the Philadelphia the city or Philadelphia the brand? The, the, the brand, the cream <laughs> cheese. It's a cream cheese made of almonds and it's okay. So I've had a, I've had a few vegan answer. cheeses. Some of them, some of them are, are okay. The Applewood smoke's the best one I think I've had. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, that's okay. it's about what's easiest to imitate, right? So cream yeah, cheese, that's it, yeah. You, it, you can, it's quite easy to make an artificial spread, and then if you can get some of that cream cheese sort of slight honk in there, <laughs> honk, yeah, the honk. then <laughs> you're the tang. Just mm-hmm. stood around in quality, quality assurance. I just, yeah, then we you're can't okay. get the we can't get the tang. Need the oh, honk. We get, what are we going to do to get the honk? <laughs> we got to up this honk. The, More uh, honk, Europe, please. European More market. honk. So yours is a vegan one. Uh, so because you are a vegan, aren't you? Or do you sort of go in and out? I dip. I dip in and out. I try. Out. I basically my whole thing is just eat as few animal products as possible. 
So mm. then some weeks I'll be vegan, other weeks if you know, if I fancy an omelette, I'm gonna have an omelette. Mm. Do you do you have a favourite non-vegan cheese? Uh fucking hell, mate, all of them. I fucking <laughs> love cheese. This is why it's hard. This is why it's hard. Literally like anything from from like a cottage cheese to a stillman, oh, no. a rock fort, a brie, a camembert. Uh, Red Leicester, like I do, I love it all. The Wensleydale with the apricots in it, all that stuff. That's why oh, you nice. know, it's challenging. Yeah. It's challenging trying to not eat all that stuff for the good of the cows and all that. Um, mm. But yeah, I love cheese. I agree it's with delicious. all of those except for cottage cheese. Cottage cheese can fuck off. Really? I yeah, love cottage yeah, yeah. cheese. Yeah, and no, it's, it's good for you as far as cheese and dairy products I go. I don't care how good it is for me. For I'm not eating it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Not. Uh, it's a you? tough sell. It is. It is a tough set. And there's no cottages involved anyway. Um, Pierre, what about you? You have a favourite cheese or a go-to cheese? I mean, I don't know what the go-to means. Just say favourite. Go-to is like dinner party versus cheese sandwich versus on a jacket potato is different to like with a cheese board, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, this is it. Like if it's go-to, it's like someone saying, what's your go-to tool? And you just have to pick the most versatile tool, right? So Mm -hmm. that's just cheddar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just cheddar. That's your standard. That's your base cheese. You can't just start with fucking rock for <laughs> you know the stinkier the better yeah i like it a lot but i'm not going to be like uh you know that's not a cheese for all seasons right? <laughs> <laughs> i'll take that i'll take that yeah whereas if you want a toasty or something you, it's just cheddar really there's no real if you yeah if you're making a toasty with blue cheese it feels quite decadent doesn't it you'd feel yeah you'd feel insane <laughs> It was, it's a very post-Christmas toasty, that. It is. Get it, get it used before January. Yeah, that's it. No stinky <laughs> cheese for the new year. I think the cheddar is great for toasties. That's why I think the Dutch toasties, they fall down. Mm. They've got that Emmental, that nutty, yeah. kind of slightly rubbery cheese in there. Mm. And it, it has its place. But I just don't think it toasts as well as, uh, as a cheddar. Mm-hmm. No, so mm-hmm. so cheddar for you then as you go to, yeah, just out of sheer yeah. pragmatism. And I'm, yeah, I like to I think like of that. myself. I like as a, a logical versatility, answer. isn't That's it? Good, yeah. What about you, Josh? What's your uh, go-to cheese? I'm a big cheese guy, aren't I? I'm, I'm a big cheese. I'm a big cheese guy. You don't get this body for nothing. Um, <laughs> I I'd probably say because I like I would probably say say cheddar as well for like sandwiches, toasties, all that sort of stuff. All if rounded. if I was gonna say like what's my favourite cheese, it's Gruyere. Mm-hmm. which is like a Swiss nutty cheese, which is just yeah. gorgeous. Really, well, that melts like a dream. Oh, it's beautiful. And I think that's what they use in fondue or one of the ones they use in, nice. in, in fondue in Switzerland as well. So yeah, oh, I love Gruyere. But let us know, get in touch, what's your go-to cheese? <laughs> uh, and thanks very much, Sarah, for the question. We'll give you a shout out when the episode comes out. Uh, anyway, Pierre, uh, you've chosen yes. this week's film, which is Silence of the Lambs from 1991. So spoiler warnings if you've not seen it. So tell the guys at home a little bit about what Silence of the Lambs is about and why you picked it for the podcast. Is it underrated? Is it underseen? Do you just want to talk about it? Let's let's hear it. I think it just... I think it is the best fictional serial killer movie. Mm. There are a lot of serial killer movies. A lot of them are very schlocky. And a lot of them are very silly and sort of like kind of involve maybe not necessarily like a a, a ghost element, but an element of like, oh, this guy's just like sort of unkillable or mm. he's like a sort of demon maybe or what. Whereas this one is like Hannibal Lecter is a sort of genius, but 
he's they caught him you know and there's a lot more sort of slow thriller it's not a horror movie at all there are horrifying bits but it's much more mental than just jump scares and and isn't this fucked up kind of stuff like seven yeah mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah for 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 anyone keeping notes i think the best serial killer movie about one that was real is is just that is zodiac yeah oh zodiac's an absolute masterpiece which, yeah yeah which is great it's about 11 hours long and <laughs> they don't catch him so you know <laughs> so yeah. so so did you pick it because it's underrated or underseen or do you just think i just want to talk about this because it's a brilliant film i think i was so it, it lives completely rent free in my head mm. silence of the lambs i've seen it a lot because i just think it's great and i was surprised no one had already done it so i'm going to take that away from all the future <laughs> guests I like, I, gonna, like, I like a tactical choice i'm going to enjoy <laughs> The fact that now anyone who's who's like me who loves Silence of the Lambs, especially say like John Robbins, I know is a big Silence <laughs> of the Lambs fan. And if you get him on, he'll I think that's what he'll say, and you'll have to say no. You've you're too you've been late. Gazumped, you've been gazumped. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you'll have to do you'll have to do Hannibal or Red Dragon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Manhunter. Um cool. Okay, Alice. So in that case then, had you seen this one before? You know what? I hadn't really. So oh, I, wow. I, I feel, I know, right? So I feel like it's one of those, like I've been present whilst it's been on, mm. but I definitely hadn't sat down and watched it start to finish. Yeah, I mean, the full thing, attention. Yeah, exactly. But obviously it's been, it's referenced so heavily in so yeah. many different things, mm. like South Park pretty much do an entire episode about it. <laughs> so, so much of it felt really familiar and I kind of knew what I was getting into anyway. But no, this was the first time that I sat down, watched it and actually paid attention to it. Uh, what about you, Josh? I reckon you had seen this I've one. seen this, so, yeah, I've seen this loads of times. Have I you? Think, yeah. I, think, I, I think this is an absolute masterpiece. I think it's a mm-hmm. very, very fine feat of filmmaking. So I was really excited when Pierre chose it because I was just like, oh, great. I get to just talk about an amazing film. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there's never really been a time. And I think, I think we can genuinely say this where a guest has chosen a film where I've thought, oh, God, I yeah. don't want to talk about that. But... <laughs> There has been obviously films I preferred over others, and this is this is when I was like, oh, so excited to talk about Science of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. I actually hadn't seen it for a while. Uh, I have seen mm-hmm. it loads, but I hadn't. It's one of those films like you would quite uh, watch, quite, you know, every couple of years, or you know, if it's on telly. It's one of those films like no matter where it is on telly, unless it's the last you know, twenty seconds or something, I'll be like, I'll just watch the end of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because because I just think it's so good. Honestly, I do think it's an absolute masterpiece. Let's get stuck into it then. So, so Pierre, like, we'll start with what we like about it then. So, what what do you like about Silence of the Lambs? I think um, I like the fact that the most dangerous person in the film is not necessarily the person they're after. You've got mm. the fact that they're coming to Hannibal Lecter to catch Buffalo Bill. And you find out that they're they're sort of intertwined a little bit, and uh, so the plot's good. It's quite twisty in a way that's harder to predict than the average thriller, um, especially for its time. We're all thrilled out now, but um, <laughs> Alice, how did you find watching it? Because I'm I'm curious because sometimes you watch something like if I ever show anyone The Shining, I say mm. to them you're about to see a lot of stuff that makes you go, oh, this again. You yes. need to remember that this is the first one of that. Mm-hmm. Did you get that feeling watching Silence of the Lambs? Absolutely. And mm. I, 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 just to 
like let you guys know i i thought it was excellent like oh, i'm goodness. not i'm not i know you said it's not like quite a horror film and obviously it is more psychological thriller and that i don't usually watch films like this like this is the genre that is probably the least explored for me um but it is just excellent like i think it's objectively an excellent film like it's written so well the performances are fantastic the delivery's great some of the camera angles are really really clever and get you mm. to feel just a whole bunch of different things um but yeah i definitely you could definitely feel that it was like oh they did it first it was yeah. that sort of thing. And I know what you mean with The Shining as well. It's like, oh, this thing again, this looks exactly like that or exactly like this. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, but this was where that was born. This, this is, is the where one. that started, like, this is, this right? is, yeah, like this is, yeah, this is the primordial soup of, uh -huh. yeah, of, of those films. No, you are right. It's the same with The Shining. It's the same with 2001 A Space Odyssey. There's loads of films where you're like, you see it and it's weighed, it's almost weighed down by its own legacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that they get the balance so well with like, I have a lot of friends who prefer Manhunter to as an mm. adaption to Silence of the Lambs. And I think the reason I disagree is that Manhunter, it's all it's all great. There's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think they get I like that balance of 90% Hannibal Lecter, normal guy serial killer, like when you watch a true crime interview with whoever, but 10% not human, not from this yeah. planet, like what Anthony Hopkins brings to it, which my friends who prefer Manhunter, they say, oh no, that's like too much for me. That's too theatrical or that's too... Uh, um, Over the top demony. sort of thing. Yeah, but I think it's fucking great. And um, the performances are just astonishing. And even down to stuff like Anthony Hopkins, apparently, um, you'll notice this if you hear it and then rewatch it. He tried to blink like a reptile. So he doesn't ever blink until he does. And then it's visibly a decision. And he does it very slowly and with control. And his eyes don't move before and after the blink. And just stuff like that adds such an incredible feeling to, to the whole thing, the texture of the film. Um, and even just like Dr. Chilton and stuff, that horrible wormy guy who runs the hospital, that's a great <laughs> performance mm -hmm. where you immediately you're just cringing. And Barney, the the caretaker, had uh, um, orderly, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's great. Just everyone's nailing it. That, that you said is a lot, and I think a lot of it comes down to the direction as well. Obviously, all the actors are absolutely smashing it, but I think there's some real choices done with the script and the direction, which I think really elevate this film. Like you said, the, the, the Anthony Hopkins things, you know, people have poured over that performance many times and sort of said, this is what he does, and X, Y, and Z. And again, that's another thing where he's almost become the template villain yeah. or he certainly was for a while in the same way that there was a period of time after the dark knight came out where every big blockbuster had a villain that got caught on purpose and it was all part yeah. of his big plan and then he blew yeah. some up whereas this is like there was always a going to visit them in a jail cell bit or there was a he, he's always that villain that's two steps ahead of the police or two steps ahead of the main character or, or whatever it may be and this is I would say like he's often up there, isn't he, with the greatest villains, and he and he and he definitely is for me. What about you, Alice? Then how did you think? What do you think of of Hannibal Lecter? Have you seen any other Hannibal stuff? Because obviously there's the TV show, there's other films. No, I've seen the South Park episode, like I said, <laughs> the, the piss out of it, and that was it. That's kind of all I've seen. Uh, but so 
I'm in terms of the stuff that I liked. I'm probably not going to be saying anything new here, and this is probably stuff that has been said to death already. Let's hear. Well, let's hear. Come on, well, let's, let's hear. Start it. with the obvious, right? And you've already touched on it there. But Anthony Hopkins, okay? So I would say that his performance is pretty much nearly perfect, right? And this is probably one of my favorite character introductions that I think I've ever seen. So Clarice is making her way through like the underground prison. And then as we arrive at the final cell where Hannibal is, the camera sort of moves slowly past this concrete post thing to reveal him stood right there in the center of his cell, looking like a complete gentleman with his arms straight down by his sides and this soft welcoming look on his face, like he's the perfect maitre d' welcoming guests at a five-star restaurant. It is just such a brilliant moment and feels utterly menacing. And I wondered if maybe the impact of that introduction was a bit... Like if I felt it a bit more because I sort of knew a bit of the lore around the character and around the film. So it's like, oh, we're going to see Hannibal Lecter for the first time sort of thing. Whereas maybe if you're watching it for the first time, like when it came out and stuff and you didn't already have that prior knowledge, if it was as impactful, I don't know. But it was amazing and I loved it. Um, and then pretty much from there, every time he's on screen is just an absolute delight. So even when he's... Um, like when he's got the mask on and stuff and he's in a straight dra jacket and he's bound to a stretcher, he is still the most dominant person in any room and is still completely terrifying. And like the whole way through, I was just like, you would not find me anywhere near this man. Like I would not go within a hundred miles of him, let alone be the person to put his food through the drawer thing or when they... When they open the cage and they handcuff him to the thing and put food, I was like, what are you doing? This is not going to end well for you. Like, he has such a presence. Mm. Like, just completely dominates every single... Even if he's just... Like, when he's sitting on the floor in a T-shirt and trout, like, he's just... There's just nothing really to him. And yet there's yeah. everything. Like, visually, it's just, oh, he's just some old dude. But mm. there's so much, like feeling and just like menace that just comes off it pre presence just, is a really good word oh, for it yeah. i think when you've said their presence yeah he's it, he just he really he really captured the whole thing for me so well um so there's a moment that you know the moment with the pen so we've got mm. the thing with the pen where you see the guy the doctor he puts his pen down and you see hannibal look at the pen and then a few scenes later so quite a little bit way later into the film that guy's like oh where's my pen and they go, oh, he hasn't got his pen, but someone else can lend him a pen. So you're like, oh, it's the pen. He's got the pen. How did he get the pen? He was all tied up in a straitjacket. How has he got the pen? And then obviously later on, he spits it out of his mouth and he's got a part of the pen. And that's what undoes his handcuffs and then he escapes. And it's just like t tiny little moments, just tiny little things. Mm. There wasn't like this huge thing where it was like, we oh, we saw him get out the straight jacket and get the pen and then put the pen in his, you know, in his bum or in his mouth or wherever he was storing it sort of thing. It just happens off screen, but then you get the consequences of it later and all the clues were there. Like the film gives you the clues mm. to know that this is what's going to happen. And then you see it and it's like, oh my God. And it's just always so much more horrific than you think it's going to be. So that <laughs> whole sequence, when you find out he's got the pen and then when he escapes from that cell is one of the best things I think I've seen in cinema. Like the misdirection and the the gore behind it. And, you know, he sliced someone's face off and put the face on his face and got in the ambulance and all that. I was just like, what the fuck is happening? It was just so good. And it was such a brilliant moment. And it, even like around that, the energy of the whole thing, I thought, and the mystery and the thrill, the thriller elements of it, it was just so strong. And I just think objectively it was terrific.
Um, but yeah, Anthony Hopkins was the main thing for me. There's loads of other stuff I've got written down about what I like, but I could go on. Um, what about you, Josh? What are some of your favourite things about this yeah, film? I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of what you said there, but just to touch on, the, there's a few things for me, obviously, that I've already talked, touched on the direction. So, Pierre, you touched on this, which is I love the use of genre, which is it is not a horror film, but this, to me, is scarier and more unsettling and more disturbing than any horror film I've ever seen. Do you know what I mean? I find, yeah. I've said, said this before on the podcast, I don't mind horror films if they're done well, but obviously sometimes they, they can become tiresome and then every few years a film comes along that seems to give the horror genre a bit more of like a rejuvenating boost. And then all the films follow that sort of, you know, um, uh, structure and stuff, and, and stuff like that. So this for me is far more disturbing. Now I'm quite into reading about criminology and stuff like that and and so so this i think this film actually is one of the reasons why i why i was so i do know about like things like that hannibal's based on a real guy or he's and buffalo bill's based on a real guy and all that sort of stuff so i do find that sort of thing quite interesting but i think that because it because it's based in psychology and not like you say boogeyman behavior you know like you say the, yeah. the, the michael myers and the jason Voorhees of the world that, that oh he fell off the cliff but he's fine in the next one yeah. Whereas, whereas in this, you're like, he's just a real guy who's just unstoppable. The bit where he escapes, I've seen this film so many times, the bit where he handcuffs the guard's hand to the bars still turns my stomach. Yeah. Because you know what's going to happen. And he says, um, oh, so, so uh, certain, certain lines stick in my head forever, partially because I've seen it so many times, but partially just because, um, you know, I'm on, I'm completely on the spectrum like I'm on the I'm on the autism spectrum, and I can just remember stuff if I like it, like right. word for word. And that's another reason why it lives rent free in my head because it's just <laughs> the horrible thing he says to the guy when he handcuffs him is "Ready when you are, Sergeant Pembroke." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. it's a, like he's at the fucking dentist. <laughs> it's so bad. Oh, the two most it's frightening as well because the two most fucked up things that Hannibal has done in the film or two of the most fucked up things he's done you're just told mm. so when she's first going to meet him they explain that uh he did a some he did some trick once and and uh he pretended to have a heart attack i think mm-hmm. and the nurse who was operating on him he bit out he bit out her tongue yes and then they yeah. add in his heart rate never went above 80 mm. so that's absolutely terrifying because it means that he's not even excited by it he just does it. And the other one is that he whispers all night and somehow convinces multiple makes to swallow his own tongue and kill himself. It's, yeah. Because he threw his jizz at Clarice. And I'd, I'd actually never full. I don't think I'd watched this for a few few years and I completely forgot about that bit. <laughs> yeah, I knew yeah. obviously what happened with the bit that happens with multiple makes is obviously really famous because it's so gross and yeah. so impactful. But I'd forgotten. I. I thought he, I knew he died, but I've forgotten that Hannibal basically convinces him to die. Yeah, talks him into swallowing his tongue through <laughs> whispering to him all night. What the fuck was he saying? <laughs> it's the unknown. And I know when this came out, um, it was quite controversial, wasn't it? There was a lot of people calling for it to be banned and stuff like that. Because also yeah. to- Thomas Harris, who wrote the book, I know he did a lot of research around the sort of criminal psychology and stuff like that. And, and he think he wanted to make it... Don't know if he wanted to make it necessarily realistic or impactful, but whatever he did, it works, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think the the fantastical bit of Hannibal Lecter as a character is the fact that he's, I think he's an impossible kind of serial killer. 
for two reasons. And one is that he's very, very intelligent and high functioning in a way that even the real life smart high functioning ones in quotes never were. And mm. people always go, oh, Ted Bundy, you know, Ted Bundy worked on uh, as like an, a, a campaign officer for the police uh, and for uh, multiple election campaigns. But he was still a very unreliable fucking weirdo who people were quite unsettled by. Yeah. Whereas this is like a, you know, he in, in the in the movie in the books Hannibal Lecter is like nine types of doctor. He's a surgeon. He's a a, a general consultant. He's a psychiatrist and and of note. Um, and he's incredibly cultured. He knows all your opera and classics and myths. He can quote things. It's interesting as well. He never ever quotes anything American. Even it's re- all yeah. old world. He's like Dracula. He's European. Mm. That's what's frightening to Americans he about him. Is like Dracula. Yeah, he's That's Dracula. Interesting. In the I can't remember if it's in the book or in the series. He's I want to say Lithuanian. Like he's from Lithuanian royalty yes. or something like that. Yes, he's from a noble family. That's it. No, yeah, 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 that's it. Yeah, and um, and that, like I never noticed that about. That's really interesting. The American thing again, because that would really be really unsettling. I think for particularly for Americans. And he's doing this voice, which is sort of like Anthony Hopkins' very soft Welsh accent, plus a kind of "I've lived in America a long time" sort of mm. thing. And you'd, it's very uh, ambiguous and strange. So you can't really get a handle on what you're supposed to expect from this guy. He's very educated. And this is a crucial, crucial part of his character that is not true of any other serial killer. It's that it's not tangibly sexual. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yes. 
That's it would really, really undermine Hannibal Lecter. He was like, and then I had a big wank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that probably would. That probably would do it. <laughs> and he would say wank as well because he wouldn't say jerk off because that's American. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, he'd say, he'd exactly, like, commit an act of onanism. Yeah. <laughs> But that's, if he was a normal serial killer, he'd be like, yeah, obviously, you know, I, I killed that guy who was bad in the orchestra, chopped him up. I fed him to the board of the orchestra. And then after dinner, I went into the kitchen and I nearly ripped the head off it. You know, I absolutely <laughs> fucking went mental on myself because I'm <laughs> insane and I'm a serial killer. And that's what we do. He does also have, because like you say, now that you say that thing with it, he doesn't reference anything American. He is also so condescending to Clarice. Yeah. So one of the things that really drives this film, I think that's really interesting, is their relationship. Because I know they expand on it in other films, but there's that idea of he takes a shine to her. Jack Crawford sends her to him for a reason. And that reason is because he knows that Lecter will, will will want to speak to her rather than speaking to Jack yeah. or another agent or whatever. And then that's when her story really comes into it, which is, which is another thing that I really love about it. And I've never watched, obviously I've only ever watched this for entertainment. I've never watched it to prepare to talk about it critically like we are doing now, but I love Clarice as a character. I mean, I love it for entertainment value, but I love it in, in, in this as well. I mean, there's a big emphasis on it in this on the fact that she's a woman, but what they don't do is beat yeah. you over the head in it by constantly reminding you. The way they do it is all through her point of view. So like mm -hmm. the bit where she walks through the FBI headquarters and you, there's lots of point of view shots of people looking at her with a sort mm -hmm. of like disrespectful or disconcerting or pit, almost pitiful in places, ways and stuff like that. Whereas you know, in, in less skilled hands or if this was made at another time, it'd be, might I remind you that you're a woman, like every 20 yeah. minutes <laughs> or whatever. Whereas, whereas this very much makes it clear of they, you know, the, the, the dehumanization of her as a woman, whilst also trying to pursue and get the job done is, I think is really, really well done because then when she does come out as victorious at the end, I think it's all the more satisfying because there's even yeah. little things like she has, about 10 minutes of screen time with Hannibal Lecter or something like that, doesn't she? And the first yeah. meeting is obviously the famous one, but then the second meeting, she's almost developed as a character because you see, she says something to him like that's something Migs would say. And it's like, she's yeah. figured out how to get in his head because he's figured out how to get in hers. And I just love yeah. stuff like that. It's very, very subtly done. And I'd never noticed it before because I've never watched it like this before, but mm -hmm. I still loved it. I think that's right. And when she's in the room with those Southern deputies, Mm. They've gotten the body out of the water and the sexism there is obvious, but never said. Mm. And I think in a cruder script, you would have someone going like, what is she doing here? Or something <laughs> like that. And you'd be like, okay. And yeah. instead it's like a real Southern form of the sexism, which is that they're very sort of like ma'am and polite. Yes. But they still don't take her seriously until she sort of invokes being nice to the dead girl as a way of getting them out. Yes. And she has a go at her boss about it. It's um, it, You wouldn't guess it was from 1991, but that's because maybe we just pretend that it, it, we're, we're cleverer than people from, <laughs> from <laughs> 30 years ago. I don't know. 
You know, that's, yeah. no, that's, that is a really interesting point. They do, they do do that. And then there's a lot of, there's a lot of pauses. So when she asks anyone to any male character to do anything, they don't respond straight away. They just sort of like, mm. are like, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that something you picked up on at all? Or were you, were you more concerned yeah. with Anthony Hopkins performance? <laughs> no, no, I've got, I had like a whole paragraph about all that, but you've both, you both co- collaboratively basically expressed exactly what I was feeling. Like she I'm, I'm is glad so... that we've silenced you with our... Uh... Yeah, yeah. I don't need to say anything now because the men spoke. All good. Um, no, the... Ma'am. She's... Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, she's, she's completely outnumbered all the time. She is always in a room full of blokes, pretty much. And then that time where they've taken that uh, woman's body out of, the, out of the water and she's there... There's like a couple of these point of view shots where all these men are looking almost directly into the camera as if you are Clarice. There's literally about 13 of them and they all just kind of turn and look directly at you. But it's like what you said, Josh, it, they don't beat you over the head with it. It's not this, you know, constant like, oh, a woman in the FBI, aren't you a bit emotional for that? And aren't you going to get your period all over us and all that <laughs> stuff? Like it could have been that. And another film in a different time or, or in the hands of someone else, it would have been that. But it's not that. It's just like these little, these little kind of reminders throughout of like she is in a man's world here. But she has to turn up. She's got to put on a brave face. She's got to be polite when she doesn't feel like being polite. The only like tiny, tiny sort of time that it maybe goes over the line a little bit is those two guys in the bug place. And one of the guys, she's like, oh, are you yeah. hitting on me? And he's like, yeah. But then that's it. Mm. Like, the interaction ends. Nothing comes of that. He doesn't stalk her. He doesn't creep on her. He doesn't try to do anything too weird. That's it. And that's the end of and, it. And that whole scene is framed like, these are a couple of weirdos. Yeah, but she like... seems, but they're quite, she seems to like them. Like, they're more, mm. they're more personable with her, I would say, than probably any, well, yeah. anyone else in the film. Like, there's either a pre-existing relationship there or she just feels at ease with them because they're just a couple of bug nerds. I don't know. Yeah, like she's almost got the power. Yeah. Whereas, whereas there's other scenes like, and I don't know if they do it on purpose, but I, I, I think that they do. Which is in a lot of scenes where she's with multiple male characters, they're all so much bigger than her as well. Mm-hmm. The bit where she gets yeah. in the lift, and honestly, the three guys in the lift, I'm sure they're all about seven foot tall. <laughs> like, they're huge, and it's like, and also Jodie Foster's not very tall, is she? So, mm. so well, I, I never, I never met her in life, but I assumed based on this film and other films, she isn't very tall. So that again, that physical presence is very much. I think you're made to feel it, because um, and then again, yeah. the only characters who are nice to her are like. Uh, well, Hannibal <laughs> is 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 nice to her. I suppose um, Crawford's sort of okay with her, but he's still very much mm. he has the power, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And he's he's manipulative, you know. Mm. He doesn't um, tell her the whole plan. It's yeah. The only characters who are nice to her are are Hannibal Lecter and Barney the orderly. Yeah, and that's part of the the big emphasis in the books and in the in the scripts as well. I think is just on the fact that Hannibal's got such a huge boner for manners. He's so yes. obsessed with etiquette and and politeness, and um, at some point in one of the films, he 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 describes the people he kills and eats as free range rude. <laughs> That's such a, such a creepy way of putting it. Free well. range rude. Yeah, he tries to <laughs> eat rude people first, or people of of ill culture, and then you see an interesting intersection between old old world European manners and the very formal politeness and manners of the south because she's uh appalachian you know trailer trash and barney is is 
well, g- generic Southern, I can't tell what he's supposed to be. If there is a specific message there, but mm. he's black Southern mm. and very sort of like formal in his and polite in his dealings. And throughout the series, Barney and Hannibal have got this special friendship because he's the only orderly or whatever who's polite to him, mm. says sir, or whatever, and, and is just like does all the right stuff, isn't needlessly insulting. So yeah. there's this weird thing about manners from the guy who bit out a nurse's tongue and that makes it weird as well because it's so hard to know what the rules are Mm. it's like almost based on a mutual respect isn't it yeah which if you listen to if you read about people who have done things like interviewed serial killers they will they they do say things like that they say like they just take a weird dislike to things or they that it's almost like you've killed 10 people but you you want me to stand up when you walk in the room or you want me to say please and thank you it's such a strange yeah. dynamic really isn't it and the, this film does does explore it really well yeah i just i just think it's the right cocktail of of weird sort of super slightly like you were saying alice when the, he 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 escapes but also like he's chopped off the guy's face and he's arranged the corpse like this weird angel and stuff. That's where you get the the ten percent sort of supernatural squash in the tap water that livens it up. I think a bit compared to just like a more generic escape. I think that moment as well, that whole thing, and the fact that he's done that really lets you know like how strong he is, how fast he is, how smart he is. Like to put to kind of orchestrate that and display that in that way on his own very yeah. quickly as well. Like so. It just that whole that whole thing just kind of lets you know, oh yeah, this this is what you're dealing with. Like you thought he was creepy before, but he will move like you'll be dead before you even know it. You'll be dead before you know the handcuffs are off. It's that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. And the little hint of his creepiness where he wants lamb rare mm. after hearing about the 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 lambs, lambs being lambs. killed. Yeah. You know what I fancy after hearing that story? Bit of lamb. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you watch people watch super size me and go, Oh, actually. I love a Mackie's. Killer Mackie's, yeah. <laughs> what, so, because obviously you've not seen it all the way through before, Alex, I'm really interested to know what did you think of the ending and the scene once she gets to Buffalo Bill's house? Because that's one of my favorite scenes. I think that is like if you were going to show someone how to do tension building in a scene, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So it did. It did drive me absolutely insane. Like so. I, so then I guess it, it was really well executed. Like every second when you. When you see on her face that it dawns on her that she's figured out who it is, I was just like, right, so now you need to just say, okay, well, I guess I've got the wrong house then. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. And I was like, why isn't she doing that? Why isn't she doing that? And then she pulls her gun. He runs. She follows him. I was like, no, what are you doing? Like, don't go into the hat. Don't go into the cellar. And she just goes deep because, like, the house seems to be on so many, like, levels and it's all like a bit of a maze. And she just goes further in and further in and she keeps following him and following him until she ends up in the absolute pitch black. And then you get that sequence where he's wearing like dark, with a, what is it? When you Night can vision see? goggles, yeah. Night vision goggles, that's it. I was like, fucking hell. And you can see on her face that she can't see anything. Like it's mm. so dark down there. I was just like, holy shit. But yeah, the whole way through, I was just like, don't, don't do it. Go back out, phone the police, call for backup. Like it was <laughs> It was insane. It was insane. But I kind of so something I picked up on this time, and I don't know if this is intentional or if it's something you guys thought about. I say picked up on this time. This is the first time I've seen it. What am I saying? Um, but you get so you sort of you know that Catherine is gonna survive, and you know 
that uh, Clarice is going to succeed, I think, because of the name of the film, right? So it's called The Silence of the Lambs. And it's because Hannibal has assessed that Clarice is waiting to hear that silence in her own mind. So, you know, she's when she's stressed out and she fe she's feeling awful um, psychologically or whatever, it's the screaming, it's the lambs screaming that are going off to slaughter and all that. So he suggests like, oh, when you find Catherine and you save her, will the screaming stop and will there be silence and all this? So then I kind of thought, oh, Catherine must survive then because the film is called The Silence of the Lambs. And it's like the title is that relief that Clarice is going to get when she finally rescues Catherine. So I don't know if you'd thought about it that way, but I, I thought when he said that, I was like, oh, I bet Catherine survives and I bet she comes out on top and gets what she wants because that is the... That's the silence. It's that silence. Yeah. It's knowing that she's succeeded. It's feeling like that she's done something worthy enough that she can forgive herself for what she witnessed, like when she was a kid and, and the horror that sort of came with that. So I thought that was really interesting as well. So I kind of knew that Catherine was going to survive and that that scene was ultimately going to end well. But yeah, it was it was brilliant. And the night vision goggle thing I just thought was excellent. Like just to, just, just that's the film really wanting you to know just how dark it is down here. Like mm. he can't see yeah. anything. She can't see anything. He needs night vision goggles to be able to see. And then that means when the gun starts flashing as well, it's just like, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Amazing. And the silence is a gift from Hannibal as well. Yeah. Cause I wonder if she'd even thought about that. And it's almost like he's given her permission. It's like, if you save Catherine, you can let that noise go quiet now. Yeah. Yeah, that's and then it, it does until until he phones her, and then you can see it start back up again. It's like, ah! <laughs> but, but even that bit at the end, he says, "You know, I'm having an old friend for dinner," and Doctor yeah. <laughs> Chilton gets off the plane, uh -huh. and and you you don't like Doctor Chilton because he's obviously a prick and he's made to look like a prick. But as he gets off the plane, you're still like, "Oh God, what's, yeah. what's he yeah. going to do to him?" I don't want him to get eaten. I don't, yeah. I don't hate him that much. <laughs> Okay then, so we'll move on to talking about things we might uh, dislike about Science of the Lambs, or we might change uh, about it. I don't think this is going to be a very long section. Alice, have you got anything? Well, interestingly, we have touched on a couple of those things already, and actually one of them has been explained to me, but the first note that I had was uh, Anthony Hopkins's accent. I was like, sometimes he sounds English, sometimes he sounds American. I didn't really know what he was trying to go for. I thought the times where he did sound more English kind of felt more appropriate for the character. Mm. But then there was this kind of American twang. It says he's from Baltimore in the film. Um, so I was just like a bit, oh, what is he supposed to be here? But if, like you said, that it's meant to be like a bit of a mix of stuff, mm. it's meant to be that, oh, you're not really sure, or that, oh, yeah, maybe he started in England, but then he's been living in America for a long time. And if that's the case, then that makes a lot of sense. And that is exactly what the accent sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So I will, I will consider that point answered. Um, <laughs> Other than that, so there's a, there's a couple of things that I need clearing up, and I'm hoping one of you two will be able to help me with this. Ooh, okay, so, these, these are my favourite ones. Yeah, where I get confused. Yeah. Like, so <laughs> Clarice goes to Hannibal's storage unit, mm -hmm. yeah, and there is a head in that storage unit. Mm -hmm. How did that head get there? Did Buffalo Bill put that head there? Benjamin Raspell. <laughs> That's his name. That's uh, not a useful piece of information, except for... 
right now on this podcast. Yeah, you remember that. You remember that forever. So, yeah, Benjamin Rasper. He, uh, yeah, Buffalo, um, Buffalo Bill. Yes, Buffalo Bill killed him, but Hannibal put it there. Right. So I think is that. So then is that? Do we we have solid confirmation then that Hannibal does know Buffalo Bill pretty well? Yes, then, he might right? even be an ex-patient, or or certainly right. the guy whose head is in the jar was an ex-patient, and Buffalo Bill was a friend of his. Okay. <laughs> okay, cool. So Buffalo Bill put that severed head in Hannibal's storage unit. Okay. No, Buffalo Bill killed uh, the guy, and Hannibal put the head in his storage Hannibal unit. Hannibal put the head there. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Saving this for later, sort of thing. But <laughs> yeah, but Hannibal's yeah. been. In I'm going prison. to fuck it with some onions. <laughs> and- <laughs> <laughs> different film, different film. Um, but then, so so then, so Hannibal has been in that prison for eight years. Mm. So is that what an eight-year-old decomposed severed head would look like? Because in my oh, mind, it would be more s- skull. It's in a jar of formaldehyde. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's in a big uh... jar. It's also, his face is all smushed up against the horrible jar. Ah, that must be what I missed. Okay, thank you. I knew I knew you'd come in with the answers. Thank you very much. Um, you only see it for a second, and that's what I do with all of my heads. So, okay, well, it, pre- it preserves them, doesn't it? It's the best thing to do. Makes yeah, sense. you can't keep fucking them forever without them. <laughs> Especially not with onions. No. Um, the other thing as well was so, and another brilliant part of the film. This is when the FBI think they've turned up at the right house, but actually they've turned up at the wrong house, and Clarice is at the right house. So when the FBI realized the main officer who's like Clarice's boss or whatever, when he realizes that they're at the wrong house, he then sort of whispers under his breath, Clarice, like as if he knows that now Clarice is in danger. So I'm just wondering how he knows that Clarice is in danger if they thought this was the house where the guy was and Clarice is like hundreds of miles away in a different state because they're in Chicago, I think. So then it's like, well, how do they know? How does he know that wherever Clarice is going now is dangerous? Like, I didn't really understand how he came to that conclusion. If literally two seconds ago, he was like, oh, no, this is where the killer is. We know that he's in here. Do you know what I mean? He, um, he knows that she has said she's going to his first known address to clear up something uh-huh. uh, about, about the case. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it is that she's going to clear up, but she's still on the case, and it's, it's his old address. Yeah, it's something about who owns the house, isn't it? Yeah. And is that when Hannibal points out that he must have known the first victim, isn't it? Is it something to do with it? he must have been able to see the first victim? Yes. What, she what, follows up on that, doesn't she? What do we What do we covet? Yeah. That's his whole speech. Uh-huh. What do we covet? What we can see, yeah. The things yeah. that we can see, and... Um, yeah, I guess it's more of a supposition, but they've they've put it in for dramatic effect. But yeah, it's basically if he's not if he's not here, he's he's probably in the only other sort of house that we had a lead on. Mm. Right. So it's them. It's he has just fully come to that conclusion. Then, well, if I'm wrong, then Clarice must be right, and and she's there now. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. I will accept that explanation. <laughs> any others? Um, any other the, li- well, <laughs> the, literally, just the other final point was just just how much I was pulling my hair out at Clarice going into the house, realizing it's him, still following him, going down the stairs, going into the basement, going into the dark. Like it just seemed insane. But obviously, that sequence has to happen, and that is a terrific sort of climax to the film so i get it and that it's not going to ruin the film for me but it it did just feel a bit reckless it's so felt a bit reckless yeah it's so freaky when you start to realize that 
even slightly before she realizes who it is, he's really amused that she's there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so do you have any leads? Like he's being really like, <laughs> he's being really cunty about it. And yeah, he's kind of fiddling with those business cards and like uh, yeah. being really rude about the kidnapped girl being fat. Being fat, yeah. Being a big yeah, fat yeah. person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big fat person. She, yeah. Oh, she a pretty big fat person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. At the door. Yeah, it's horrible because he's got this awful little smirk on his face. Ugh. Is there is there uh, is there anything for you, Pierre? Is there anything you don't like it would change, or is it just no? This is brilliant. This is an amazing film. Um, I suppose it would, if you were to remake it now it would benefit from an additional, let's say, two minutes explaining the pathology of Buffalo Bill a bit better. Mm. Yes, because, and I know that is, that is a criticism that was levied at the film even at the time, I think. Yeah, because they do deal with it in the film because they, there's an element of implied trans panic of this whole thing. Yes. They deal with it a bit in the film where, where Clarice says, well, no, people, they're, they're, they're like historically... And this is in an era where it's all just under the, the heading of gender dysphoria so yeah. as an actual medical condition. They're saying, no, no, they're very sort of submissive and peaceful and da da da. And, and so that's that's completely, again, that, that stereotype's not true, is what she's saying. And Hannibal is saying, correct, you're well done. You know, that's that's right. So that is very brief. And and then it's a bit blink if you, and you'd miss it. So if you if you could build something into their... Mm. about how it's actually just a very, very sort of, I, I, I guess, well, how do you describe someone who is a, 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 side, a psychosexual sadist? Unwell, I guess. Because mm. he says something like he's not, he isn't what he wants to be or something like that, doesn't he? He says something along yeah. those lines. He he feels he must transform in some way. Yes, that's, that's right. The, yeah, that's yeah. the root of his compulsion. It's not actually. He's just casting about for anything that might vaguely. Yeah, he's just trying to pin his sort of pin it pin it on something, isn't he? Yeah, and so if you if there was a way to to do that now and get away with it, that's what you'd have to focus a lot of your efforts on, I think, mm. and but, to explain uh, it. Definitely from a social point of view, like obviously this is now over 30 years old, hasn't it? So I think that's just an example of how, I suppose, things have changed in the way, particularly with representation, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah, I guess you tweak it a bit. In in terms of anything else I dislike, um, I suppose the the Sergeant Pembury being disemboweled and hung up like a spooky (laughs) angel is a bit silly. But you know, it's also I quite liked very, it. Quite liked it's also that. very shocking and cinematic in, yeah. in the cinema, you know. So because I, I just thought in that it. scene, because obviously he's meant to be an angel. I always got in that scene he'd strung him up like a butterfly, like because that's what's in the mouths of the oh. victims. I'd always assumed it was like him because the the poster is like very famous, isn't it? The poster is very famous, which is a woman with a butterfly, butterfly over over her mouth, and I always thought that's what that was sort of meaning but actually when i was reading about it whilst i was watching it 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 was oh no he's just strung him up it's not like a it's not representation or anything it's just that's a shame because my my only my only thing is in that scene which i'd never noticed before and it's not just silence of the lambs this is one of those things that films do all the time and this is one of them which is obviously he puts the guard's face over his face right and then he goes into the ambulance pretending he's injured and he convinces 
at least 10 people that he is the, a guard who's been badly injured and is dying. But to the point where in the back of the ambulance they go, his pulse is dropping. And I'm like, how? Hmm. How is this? How is he? But like, like, I know there's like monks or people who can meditate and drop their pulse, but I, could Hannibal drop his pulse as much as, <laughs> as much as he would be able to, to convince an yeah. ambulance he was going into cardiac arrest? Yeah, exactly. And because his pulse is, whereas if he could sneak the thing off his finger, it wouldn't drop. It would just stop, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so. yeah, it, yeah, they're implying a, a an element of ninja power. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but then loads of films do that, where it's like someone can drop that. There's a Bond film where he does it. There's loads of films yeah. where it's like they drop their pulse as if it's like a superpower that you could drop your pulse i think one of the robert downey jr sherlock holmes is, has it in it there's loads yes. of daft films where it's like oh and he can uh, meditate and drop his pulse then it's like he yeah. can't he can't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or if you can it must take years of practice but you know maybe hannibal can but anyway not not much in the dislike section i don't think Okay then, so we'll move on to talking about the critical reception then, and we'll see if we can say, is it sort of appropriately rated, underrated, overrated, what, what, what is it? So, Alice, how do you think this did with the critics, generally speaking, on the scores we look at? I, I would assume that it did very well. Mm. I think objectively, it's a, good, it's a great film. Mm. Um, I, would, I would rate it very highly as well. I think, I think you're at least looking at a mid-eight like mm. at least like 85%, 8.5 sort of thing. That's probably what I, that is what I would give it. And I think that's probably what it got. Okay. Pierre, what do you think? I mean, I mean, it's, it's fairly well known that it's very well received, I think. But how do you think it did sort of critically? I reckon it got, yeah, pretty good stuff across the board. But I would bet on some of the big reviewing outlets or monsters of the day just shitting all over it because it was mm. very popular and the books were mm. much schlockier. Like in the books, Hannibal's got like fucking purple eyes and stuff. It's like an anime. <laughs> um, it's very silly. So I reckon it would have been like, oh, you see, they've adapted that silly book. And mm, some yeah, of the more maybe. highbrow cinema people would probably have taken a huge shit on it. I know what you mean. Sometimes the people can't sort of legislate between successful and good. It's like yeah. it's either one or the other, but actually you can have both. Okay, let's have a look then. So at the time of recording over on IMDb, it gets 8.6 out of 10. And then the audience, actually, do you know what? The audience and the critics give it the same score on Rotten Tomatoes, which oh. never happens. They both give it, at the time of recording, 95%. Whoa. Wow. So, so, yeah. So, so, so if you average those out, it's 92%. Oh. I mean, that's Whoa. high. That's very high. But it is that's really good. High. It is but very it is, good. It is good. So, like, it's a that's neat really, film. That's really high, but I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. Yeah. So, are we? So, what do you think, Pierre? Is that appropriately rated? I think it's fair. There's so few flaws in it, given what it is. I think if you have a problem with it above what we've been discussing, you have a problem with the genre, or you have a problem with the ideas at the core of it, and that's not mm. something that a film can overcome. Mm. Whereas, if you know, if you watch a musical and you're like, oh, it's a lot of singing, you go, well, <laughs> they're not going to like it then. So, yeah, it might, yeah. yeah, it might not be for you, generally yeah. speaking, sort of thing, yeah. No, cool, well, there we go, another one appropriately rated. Oh, 
there we go. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about uh, Silence of the Lambs and um, and all that stuff. Tell, tell the guys at home what have you got going on? What can we, everyone look out for? Uh, I will be at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe for the entire month of August, basically for the whole thing at Monkey Barrel, which is a great comedy club in Edinburgh. And I will then be on tour all over the country and in Dublin as well. Um, from sort of early September till early November, the details are on my Instagram slash website slash blah. And, uh, I'd love to see you there. Excellent. Excellent. And then like social media and stuff, where do people look out for your stuff? Oh, uh, I've got a full special on YouTube. Ooh. You can watch my last show. It's about an hour and nine minutes, sort of long special. And then the show I'm, I'm taking on tour, we're, we're working on getting that filmed and released as well. Excellent. So that's look out for that. Maybe at Christmas. <laughs> uh, well, we'll make sure we put links to all your stuff in the episode descriptions and we'll put some stuff out on social media as well when this uh, comes out. Best of luck with the Edinburgh run and with the tour. Hopefully we'll try and catch you, when mm. you if you come if you come in near us. Um, and yeah, yep. thank you very much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very uh, much for having yeah, me. Yeah. Thank, thank, you. thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. Well, there we go. Another guest episode in the bag. Silence of the Lambs, man. What a, I could have talked about. I could have done about three episodes on it, to be honest with you. Uh, what, a great, what a great film. I am right there with you. Like, oh. I really had to limit myself when I was writing my notes for this because <laughs> I could have kept going on and on and on. If you haven't seen it, it is just a brilliantly made film. It so is. Many, it is. So, there's it is. so much else that we didn't even come on to there as well. But yeah, there's so much good about yeah. it. I can see why it got such high ratings. Definitely check it out if you've not Absolutely. seen it. Absolutely. And check out Pierre's stuff as well. He's very funny. Thank you very much, of course, for him to come in on and taking the time. It was lovely to chat to him. Make sure you check out his special. I've watched a lot of it on YouTube. It's really, really funny. Uh, we'll put links to his stuff in the episode description, some stuff on social media as well. Check him out. It's uh, he's, he's a very, very funny guy. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode uh, in your ears, won't we, Alice? Indeed, indeed. Ooh, very exciting. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, the email address is filmsandthatpod at gmail.com. And we're on all the social medias. If you just search for Just Films and That on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok and Instagram, you'll find us. And we're on Patreon as well. So if you're looking for a little bit of extra stuff, bonus uh, content, extended episodes, early access to episodes, head on over to Patreon and you'll find us there. We're also on the television, aren't we, Alice? We are indeed. Every Friday from 6pm, you can find me and Josh talking about all our favourite underrated and underseen films on the local TV network. Network. So that means if you live in Birmingham, Bristol, Leeds, or Liverpool, or the northeast of England, you can find us on Channel 7 on Freeview. Or if you live in North Wales or South Wales, you can find us on Channel 8 on Freeview. I'm also uploading all the videos onto Daily Motion. So if you head on over there and type in just films and that, you'll be able to see what it is that we're up to. Yes, lots of ways to see us, hear us, engage with us, follow us, uh, and uh, yeah. Check us out. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. It's very much appreciated. It's really, really hot now, so I think we're going to go. We'll be back next week with another episode. Cheerio! Bye! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.